good morning. I'm Mr. Ward, Hank's dad. Filling in for Miss Caroline today because she's got bigger things. She's doing sermon for us. All right, so I got a question for you. How many of you guys were here last week, December 31st? You guys remember that? So some of us were saying Merry Christmas, some of us were saying Happy New Year's, and I got so confused. Were you guys confused last week? No. All right, so you guys are. Miss Caroline's doing a good job with you guys. All right, so I was trying to figure out what we're going to do today, and I realized. Is it still Christmas or is Christmas over now? All right, when did, when did it end? Today? No? Yesterday? So we're all confused, right? <laughs> it ended Friday night. So when you woke up Saturday morning, yesterday morning, Christmas was over. Were you surprised? No. All right. So I started thinking about Christmas a little bit. And so what's going on at Christmas time, right? We sing all the songs. What does it tell us? you got to be good or bad, so be good for goodness sake, right? Uh, who's naughty or nice, we're checking the list twice, right, all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking about that. So now that Christmas is over, officially on Friday, we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Oh, so should we still be good? Or is it, is it bad season? Oh, bad all right, okay. Naughty or nice, we're going to choose nice, right? What are some other things outside of Christmas that help us think about being good and kind. Anything in church that we talk about? Easter? Lent? You got another? Are there anything in the Bible, like nine things that help us about being nice and good? Yeah, Miss Caroline's listening, so we better say fruits of the Spirit, right? Do any of you guys have anything in school that your schools try to promote about being good or kind or nice? You got punch cards, you get expelled if you're not. We have something in our school district called the Wiley Way. And it's just this phrase, this ideology about how we're all going to put others before ourselves. The golden rule. Uh, do you guys have any rules in your house? Yeah. Those parents, am I right? Alright, see, so you can't hit your brother and sister, you gotta be nice, you gotta share your toys when your friends come over, right? I know several of you here are in scouts. Anything, is there like any laws in scouts about? Yeah. Oh, there's a scout law? What are a couple things in the scout law? Trustworthy, loyal, helpful. There's a whole bunch of them, right? Some of them are the exact same words as the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, some of you guys played sports, right? Soccer and tennis and swimming, right? Anything uh, with our sports about being nice and kind and good? Yeah, we, we can't hit people with the ball we're not supposed to. we got to obey the rules of the sport, right? Like stay in your lane. What about when the sport is over? Because during the sport, you want to beat the other person, right? Yeah, be me, right? Make me feel bad about themselves, right? Well, after the game, right? What do we got to do? Be a good sport. Shake hands, right? So here's kind of the summary, right? It sounds like although the season of Christmas is over, right? It ended on Friday night, whether we liked it or not. Whether we knew about Christmas was more than the 25th or not. The spirit of Christmas is really about just being good to our neighbors and being nice to our friends and our family and even people we don't know, right? So 
it sounds like there are other things outside of just Christmas. Our Sunday school things we're learning, our sports, our schools, and even our parents. They're telling us we should probably do this whole Christmas spirit thing the whole year, right? So just because this season ended on Friday, the spirit's going to live for the whole year. You guys can handle that? All right. Let's grab a hand and close this thing out. All right, you guys want to repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for this season of Christmas. But more importantly, thank you for the spirit of Christmas. And help us to show goodness and kindness the entire year. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you guys next Sunday. And just to set the record straight, kids, I never have more important things to do. But see these big kids? They needed a word, too. So we're going to talk to them for a little bit. And I bet you'll recognize some of it, too. Christmas is over. This is the season of Epiphany. And we turn now on this Epiphany Sunday, after we have heard the story of the Magi coming to find the Christ child, we turn to Isaiah in the 60th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, our light, the spirit that is with us all our days, illumine us now. Show us your path. Amen. The book of Isaiah is a little bit of a complicated one. Have you spent much time there? One of our major prophets. So complicated. The language is so different than many of the prophets that we're familiar with. We have things that we quote from Micah and Amos. But Isaiah is rich and complex. It's important. In fact, the book of Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament than any other book of the Old Testament. Maybe the Psalms. It is everywhere. The people of God, the people of Israel, knew the prophet Isaiah. But it's not so straightforward. So I did a little digging. And of course it took me right back to godly play, which is, after all, the answer to life, universe, and everything. 
And here we have Isaiah. When I read this passage in, in chapter 60, I mean, that's what happens when the pastor calls you in the middle of the week and says this, the scripture's already picked. And I, I read chapter 60, those first six verses, and went, what? I mean, the first verse we sing, we know it, but then you get into those other five and the rest of the chapter, and I went, who? What? what where are they? I don't know what's going on here. Who are they talking to? Who is the light? Where are these people? What in the world is going on? Who is shining and who is coming? I mean, I know we're talking about Epiphany Sunday and the star and the wise men followed, and I could jump straight there. But... Isaiah is a lot more complicated than that. See, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, about the first two-thirds of the book, was likely written by Isaiah or one of his students while the people of God were in Jerusalem. And while they were in Jerusalem, they had the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant is there, and they can worship there, and God's name dwells with them. And in that, they have great joy and great hope and great promise But as happens many times in that part of the world and others, uh, the politics aren't all that stable. And they come under siege. And the Assyrians come. They are coming. And Isaiah says, hold fast. Hold fast. God is God. And God is powerful. And we are God's people. And Israel will remain. God will not abandon us. Jerusalem will stand. And the prophet is calling to them this because they're a tiny people. I mean, just politically, geographically, they're a tiny people. And it's really tempting to look at other great powers and either band together for battles or for diplomacy to partner with those who are very wealthy and have lots of land and are very powerful. And Isaiah says, no, hold fast. We will stand. It might only be a remnant that is left. But remain faithful to the Lord our God. And it's hard. I mean, practically, this is the world they have to live in every day. What do they do? Do they listen to the prophet? Or are they tempted by the power of the newly rich and the haughtiness of the wealthy? And then the Assyrians come. And Jerusalem does fall. And the temple is destroyed. And the people are taken into exile to a foreign land. And we hear a new voice in Isaiah. Because what do we do under exile? What do we do under the Babylonians? God is, is God here? And the voice of the prophet cries out, You are in a strange place. You are in a foreign place with different people whose ways you do not know. But God was not just there in the temple. God is not just here or there. But all of God is everywhere. And you are still God's people. And God is still working in you. And God is going to redeem Israel. And the prophet calls out that the... Environment you are living in right now will not always be. Aren't we always tempted to think that when things are bad, that the way it is right now is the way it's always going to be? And the prophet says, no, there will be a day and it will be glorious. And Jerusalem and the temple will be restored. Hold fast to your faith. And then the Persians come and conquer the Babylonians. And the Persians say, 
You can go home if you want. And many of them do. Some of them stay behind, but many of them go back. And we hear the voice of the prophet change again. To speak to a people who are back home and yet not. Generations have passed. And while they rejoice at being back home and and after a while the temple gets rebuilt. This is frustrating. This is hard. This is not the glorious vision I had of coming home. What happened? And that's the voice of the prophet that we hear today in Isaiah 60. And I don't think it's all that different from ours. I mean, aren't we living in the land flowing with milk and honey? And do you and I ever look around and go, what? This? I mean, we want to count our blessings. And how fortunate we are. And not disregard how easy we have things sometimes. But we've got problems. And we look around and we go, isn't this the land of dreams and dreamers? What? There's so much injustice and there's so much hurt and so much heartbreak and death and grief. And the voice of the prophet calls out in the midst and says, yes, arise, shine. Your light is come. Your light is here. As the Magi followed that light. As God is with us in the Christ child that we celebrated at Christmas, that we celebrate every Sunday and every day that we gather together. And not just in the form of this child, not just in the form of the temple in Jerusalem, but in the people of God. The prophet is calling out to the people, God's light is with you. Not just here or there, but everywhere and in you. You have been given the gift of God's light by the grace of God. So arise, people. Shine. God's light is in you. And you will be a light for the nations. And people will see that light and will come and will come. And there will be a day of justice and there will be a day of glory. And all will praise together. And be reconciled. And while I hope the thought of that light in you and arising and shining and being that light is one that is inspiring and hopeful and challenging. The reality is when we walk out these doors each Sunday, I need something a little more than just a nice thought to get me through the week. Because I'm going to go to my house, and I'm going to go to my job, and so are you, and you're going to go to school. We'll be in our city and in our country where there is much brokenness and hurt and injustice. And we have to figure out what practically are we going to do about this. What are we going to do with this light? How are we going to be challenged and encouraged and equipped to be that light in the places that we really go, in the people we really encounter Names that we know and names that we don't. And so for that, I want to call us back to this day of celebrating Epiphany. For us, in the Methodist tradition, it uh, hasn't been a super big celebration for us. We just had Christmas. We're looking forward to Easter. Here's Epiphany. 
And actually, as we're worship planning, there's a lot of times when the staff has been frustrated because we opened our United Methodist calendar and they have put Epiphany Sunday on the calendar the same Sunday as Baptism Sunday. Like, what? Come on. Let's have some room, some space. So next Sunday, Baptism Sunday. I'm going to be on confirmation retreat, but we'll be doing Baptism Sunday as well there. Remembering your baptism, the baptism of Christ. Well, so I did a little digging about this. Why? Why? What is Epiphany? And I discovered that in the early, early church, Epiphany was one of the great celebrations of the church. Up there with Easter and Pentecost. So we need to work on Pentecost too. (laughs) One of the great celebrations of the church. Even before Christmas on December the 25th, the early church, especially in the East, celebrated Epiphany. And you know what Epiphany meant for them? It's a manifestation of God. It's the nativity and the baptism of Jesus. I had to hang my head. Stop being mad at the Methodist church for that. That's what they celebrated. God with us. God with us. As we experience in the nativity. And as we experience in the baptism of Christ. And then somewhere after a couple of centuries, the Western church picked up this celebration. And somewhere in that change, because the East and the West always got to do things different. Um, it became this Celebration of the Magi and them arriving at the Christ child and offering their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I think both of these stories of the Magi and the star and coming before the Christ child with gifts and the story of the Epiphany in the East and the Nativity and baptism have something to offer us as a word of hope and encouragement and challenge as we are called to arise and shine. Let's start with the West. That's our own tradition that we hail from. And in this tradition, we have the story from Matthew that, we, that Hal read a few moments ago of the Magi coming. This story is only found in Magi, and it's totally different from the gospel narrative that we read in Luke. In Luke, we have this very humble setting You know, the manger and grungy shepherds and just the poor and the meek and the humble. And we turn to Matthew. And who do we have? Magi, wise men with treasure chests. And we have King Herod. We have royalty all of a sudden in this story. And the Magi have followed the star. Now, in, um, in our scripture, it calls them wise men. And the Greek word is magi, which could be a sage, it could be a wise man, an astrologer. The wise men were so smart about so many things. But the thing they knew the most about was the stars. They knew where every star was supposed to be in the sky. And they could look at the stars. And they could tell you. When a good time of year was to plant your crops or to go on a voyage on the ocean. And one night when they were looking at the stars, they saw a wild star, a miraculous star moving across the sky. And they followed it a long journey. What's interesting to me about this that speaks to me today is that. These magi, they were not part of the people of God. They would not have been familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. And when they saw the star, did they go and find them and read the prophecies? And No. 
The Magi did what they knew how to do. They used their gifts, their skills, their expertise to heed the call of God. And they followed just as they were. And we celebrate them. They're just about the first Gentiles to recognize the Christ child. They have come. And when they come, they don't just, you know, bring a casserole and some diapers. They bring their treasure chests and bring gifts fit for a king. And that speaks to us today. Because when we heed the call of God, God isn't necessarily saying, okay, you've done everything your whole life wrong. You've got to go and be something else. And then you can come and follow. God calls us as we are. Because you have gifts and you have skills and you have been equipped. And maybe you're going to use them in a brand new way and you had no idea God could use those gifts for God's purposes to shine God's light. But that miraculous star appeared in the sky and they followed it. And so we are called. And when we get there, to give it our best effort. To make it a gift worthy of the Lord our God. Not our leftovers or what we have energy for, but our best. And that's so hard to do because we are so busy and we stay busy. And so for that, let's shift a little bit to our Epiphany occasion in the East. The celebration of the Nativity and the baptism of Christ. When it said that Epiphany was a celebration of the Nativity, I went, well, Nativity, when I think of that, I think of the little wooden figures or ceramic figures that you set up in your house. So I'm sure my vocabulary English teachers know this already, but I had to look up the word Nativity. And when it's spelled with a little n, it's the birth. It's the occasion of the birth, which we celebrate with our little figurines in our house. And all of a sudden it hit me. This is Mary's hospital room. I am so glad that nobody took two walls off of my hospital room and made little figures and set them up for everybody to see. But that's the nativity. That's what we're celebrating. The birth of a child, which happens how many times every day in our world? This is a very ordinary humble, mundane, really. I mean, there's miraculous in that, but this is kind of an ordinary event that's happening. It's the birth of a child. But in the birth of the child, something miraculous is happening. And to stop with our little wooden and ceramic and fabric figures and turn the ordinary and everyday into something holy and sacred, where we sit before God and go, there's God right there in this humble scene. God with us manifest epiphany. And at the baptism, what do we use for baptism? We use water. We use water to brush our teeth and to take a shower and go swimming. And when we're thirsty and to water our lawns, there's water everywhere. And yet the gift of water becomes something sacred and holy and a vessel, a means of grace. If we are still enough, if we are still enough to receive it and go, there's something sacred and holy here. As those wise men knelt down and paid homage 
to the Christ child. We receive that water. We receive the scene of the nativity. And remember that it's holy and sacred and worthy of praise. I have a little plaque in my office. I bought it at the state fair. The food and fiber building there with the Texas store where you can buy Dr. Pepper and Adam's Best and all that stuff. And I saw it, the little wooden thing that's painted, and all it said on it was, be still. And I went, and bought it along with my red velvet cake mix. And it sits in my office, and I see it every day that I work. But when it comes to mind, most often, is at night when I'm trying to sleep, and my mind is racing with all the details and all the stuff that probably really doesn't have anything to do with being still and sacred and holy and worshiping. And I breathe and I can picture that little sign in my mind. Be still. And I just try to hold that vision in my head until my mind and my spirit can be still. And I can remember. And I can recall. And I can hope. And I can have some peace. So with our epiphany, we have both. And maybe first we need to come before the waters of baptism. Come back next Sunday. We will remember our baptism. We need to stand before that nativity, which I know January 1 you already packed up. Maybe keep out a piece of it during the year to remind you. And then, with the gifts that God has given you, and you have them, you have skills and you have gifts. When, you know, when we hear that call, though, to follow the stars, when we're still, it's only when we're still. If the wise men hadn't been looking at the sky, they would have never seen the star. You have to be still long enough to hear it and see it and then to go and to follow the light and to be there. When, when they opened their gifts, Mary treasured all those things in her heart. And we have that witness that we follow today. We have that witness to leave these doors, to rise and shine. I love that because it's not saying, look, there's something shining over there. It's saying, you, shine. Your light has come. God is not just here or there. All of God is everywhere. And so to follow the light and have that spirit of Christmas with us all of our days. May it be so. Amen.